Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Hello and welcome. All right, we just finished a series on mindset, and now we're diving into this sermon series on attitude. Your attitude and your mindset go together. Each one informs the other. Whether you're talking about someone who's consistently kind or thankful, joyful, holy, or even faithful, it's connected to mindset. Now, this is going to be fun because Christmas is coming up. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, the one who came to save the world. God became man. History changed forever. Lives were impacted for eternity by the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And ready or not, Thanksgiving is behind us and Christmas is coming. So here's a couple of questions for you regarding your attitude to some things Christmas. Here's the first one. What's your attitude regarding Christmas shopping? Because in general, you really have two types of shoppers out there. You got the planners and the procrastinators. and you likely know which one you are. See, the planners will scour the ads and search the web, make the list, purchase early, will brag about how much they saved, and sometimes they even purchase Christmas gifts as early as July, which is a sick thing to do. But the procrastinator will wait and wait and wait, sometimes until the week of Christmas or even the day before Christmas. Totally different mindsets. One cannot imagine living Christmas shopping out the other way. You just, you just can't. Okay, what's your attitude towards that polarizing holiday classic drink? Eggnog. It's a holiday classic. But most people either love it or hate it. And some will celebrate and maybe even, maybe even tear up a little whenever they see it in the store and wonder why they don't stock it all year round. Now others wonder what would cause someone to ruin perfectly good milk and eggs to make eggnog. Just the name sounds strange, at least it does to me. All right, what's your attitude towards Christmas treats? I'm talking to like candies, cookies, chocolates, and popcorn, love those. Are you a no thanks, I'm sticking to my diet, or it's okay to splurge a little, or you know what, it's the holidays, I have all year to work that off. You see, your attitudes going into Christmas are gonna play a big part in how you experience Christmas. And isn't that true in life? Your attitude will play a huge part of how you experience life. As one guy said, your attitude will determine your altitude. And when it comes to Christmas, we all come with different mindsets and attitudes. And it's fun to laugh at ourselves, for sure. But what about even more serious matters of life and our attitude towards those things? For example, what's your attitude towards work, towards people who are hurting? What's your attitude towards your spouse or your kids, towards your neighbor, with other coworkers? What's your attitude towards the widow, the orphan, or the brokenhearted? Your attitude with the store clerk? What's your attitude towards money, time, possessions? What's your attitude towards having a rough day, pain, hardship? See, we all have attitudes towards people, events, towards situations. We all have attitudes We are all a work in progress. Now, I'm sure all of us can look back and cringe at some of our attitudes that we've displayed, am I right? We'd likely be embarrassed to replay them. And there are other moments 
where attitudes of love, joy, and peace have shone bright in our lives. That's true. The amazing thing about attitude is this. You are in charge of your attitude and you can change your attitude. You're the boss of you. You're the boss of attitude. Think about that. You are in charge of your attitude. No one can force you to have a bad attitude or good attitude for that matter. They may try, but no one can force you into a certain attitude. You are in charge of your attitude and you can change your attitude. Don't like your attitude? Change it. It doesn't have to be the same. A lot of things you cannot decide or determine, but when it comes to your attitude, you get to choose. All right, as followers of Christ, we strive towards becoming more and more like Christ, more and more in his likeness. This is why Paul, a church planner and missionary in the early church, wrote these words to Christ's followers, and he counsels them that when it comes to attitude, jump to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And the version I have here says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What a powerful statement. What a challenging statement. Anyone need to repent of your attitude just from, say, today? You're likely not alone. Christ displayed over and over again attitudes that we can adopt and exhibit. He showed common attitudes that reflected who he was and what he's about. Now, during this sermon series, we're going to dig into God's word. We're going to reflect on attitudes that we're living out on a daily basis. We're going to be challenged with some of the current attitudes that God wants to change. And we're going to celebrate the transformation that God brings as we allow the Holy Spirit to change our attitudes. Remember, you are in charge of your attitude. Now, we're going to have some fun in this series because I love Christmas and I love Christmas carols. Christmas is unique in that radio stations of all varieties will be declaring over the airwaves, Jesus. Classic Christmas carols like, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Joy to the World, O Holy Night, O Come All Ye Faithful, or Hark the Herald Angels Sing. These songs all declare Jesus. Then, of course, you, have, you also have your seasonal classic popular Christmas songs like Silver Bells, White Christmas, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, and The Twelve Days of Christmas, of course. There's something special about Christmas carols. So for the next six weeks, we're going to have some fun with these Christmas carols as we dig into God's word on attitude. Now, I've turned the word carol into an acronym to help us remember the point of this series. It's called Common Attitudes Revealing Our Lord. All right, one common attitude that reveals our Lord is kindness. If there was one attitude Christ displayed over and over again, it would be kindness. And here's a takeaway today. I want you to write this down. Christ displayed kindness. Christ calls you to be kind. The attitude of kindness is love in action. In fact, when Paul described love, he started with, love is patient, love is kind. I'm still working on both of those. You know the children's Christmas carol, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? It's a beloved song through books and records, television specials and movies for tens of millions of children, Rudolph has become as much a symbol for the secular wonder of the Christmas season as Santa Claus himself. And if we're not careful, we can get confused between the secular 
and spiritual, confused about what's real and what's make-believe. Uh, funny story, when my son Micah was a toddler, about two years old, he asked me one day, he was thinking, he said, Dad, does Jesus live in your heart? And I answered, yes. Then, then he asked, do reindeer have hearts? And again, I answered, yes. And then he asked, hey, Dad, does Jesus live in Rudolph's heart? Hmm. See, it's easy to confuse what's real with what's make-believe. Of course, Rudolph is a story of kindness. But do you know the amazing act of kindness that took place with the song itself? Where's the kindness in Rudolph's song? Well, the message is not in the song. It's in the story behind the song. And what a story. Bob and Evelyn May and their four-year-old daughter, Barbara, lived in a drafty two-room Chicago apartment in what really amounted to a slum. It was December of 1938, and the Great Depression was just winding down. Due to Evelyn's two-year battle with cancer and the fact that Bob, who had a college degree, was working well beneath his skill level as an advertisement copywriter for Montgomery Wards, because work was very hard to find, Bob was on the brink of bankruptcy and exhaustion. To add to this hardship, both Evelyn and Bob knew that she was losing the battle and wouldn't last long. Well, on a cold December night, after visiting her bedridden, emaciated mother, Barbara climbed up into her father's lap and she asked, why isn't my mommy just like everybody else's mommy? Bob also remembered the pain he had always felt growing up because he had been considered, well, different. He had been a small, thin child, constantly picked on by other children, called sissy and other names that he didn't want to remember. And Bob, wanting his daughter to know that being different wasn't a bad thing, that there was hope, and most of all, that she was loved, made up a story about a reindeer with a large, bright red nose. The tell was a big hit, and Barbara demanded that Dad retell the story each night until Rudolph became less a fictional character and more, well, like a family member of the May family. Unable to purchase a gift for Barbara that Christmas, Bob decided to carefully craft his story about Rudolph into a homemade book, drawing on his own abilities as an artist for the pictures. Tragedy struck the May family before Christmas could arrive. Evelyn lost her battle with cancer. Though the last few pages were stained with tears, he knew that his little girl needed the story now more than ever. So he prayed for strength and completed the project. His efforts were rewarded when a thrilled Barbara found a completed copy of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer waiting for her on Christmas morning. Though he hardly felt like celebrating, he was forced to attend a Montgomery Ward's employees' party. His co-workers in the ad department asked May to share his children's story. After receiving a thunderous ovation, the head of the company felt that Wards could benefit from Bob's gift to his daughter. For a modest sum, Stuhl Avery, the chairman of the board of Montgomery Wards, bought all the rights from the cash-strapped and debt-ridden May. Tens of thousands of copies of Rudolph were printed and shipped to Wards stores across the nation just in time for Christmas 1939. Each child who visited Santa received a copy, and by 1946, Wards had given away six million copies of Rudolph. Due to the popularity of the story, Stuhl Avery was being besieged by offers from every major publishing house wanting to print a new version of the story. Now, I told you 
that the message of kindness is not in the song, but in the story behind the song. Here it is. In one of the most generous decisions ever made by the head of a large company, the CEO gave all rights back to Bob May, which would shortly thereafter make him very rich. On top of this, his brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, decided to adapt the story into a song which would be recorded by a cowboy star, Gene Autry. He recorded it and it streaked to number one on the charts and soon became the best-selling Christmas song of all time just behind White Christmas. What an act of kindness. Bob did not need to show kindness to his daughter, but he did. The CEO did not have to display such kindness to Bob, but he did. Kindness shown as bright as, well, Rudolph's nose. You know, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. Kindness is a common attitude that reveals our Lord to others. It's no wonder we're called to kindness because kindness demonstrates love to others. Jesus related a story of kindness in the Bible, a story that's found there in the Bible in the book of Luke chapter 10. He had an expert of the law ask him, so what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him back, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He knew he'd have a strong opinion about what the scripture said about eternal life. And the man answered, well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's when Jesus said, well, you have answered correctly. Do that, do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, this, this lawyer. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, in reply, Jesus said something very interesting. It's a story that he told. We're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. So in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have ha that you may have. Well, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? All right, now, there's a lot happening in this passage. While there's no such thing as reindeer with bright, shiny noses, everybody listening to Jesus knew that everything about this story was real. In fact, it was too real. All sort of neat little cultural things about how Jews viewed Samaritans very poorly. And the fact that it was the religious people who passed by on the other side, both a priest and then a Levite, but a Samaritan who took pity. And it's really neat how Jesus doesn't let his, this teacher of the law who was trying to justify himself off the hook with a religious answer. All kinds of good things that we could dig into here. But I want to emphasize here what the good Samaritan displayed. It was the attitude of kindness. 
love in action. You see, because this is not a story that's in a vacuum. This is your story. We are the injured man who is the benefactor of God's love and kindness. Christ, who took pity on us and displayed love to us at a, at a great cost. And we're also called to be like the Good Samaritan, to love others in the same way that we have been loved. How do you do that? Notice how the Samaritan's kindness expressed itself. First, he noticed others and he gave personal attention. Second, he affirmed others by addressing their need. The scripture says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, well, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What he did was accepted others where they are, where they were, and sought to bring them to health. So it is with us that we are to express our love and kindness and expect that there would be growth in them. The moral of the story is that you should put aside your differences and help those who need help. The Samaritan didn't think about the race or the religion of the man. He just saw a man who needed help, and so he helped. Jesus was trying to drive home a point for his audience. It's a simple message. Be kind. It's love in action. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.32, one of my favorite verses, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. See, the implication of God's kindness towards me means that I need to find a way, I gotta figure it out, how to be kind towards others. It seems so easy to say, but man, can this be hard to do, why? What stops us from simply allowing ourselves to express love through kindness? I can think of seven barriers from this story, and I can find that, that many people still use them to stop the flow of kindness. We'll all have partaken in these at some level, I'm sure. Okay, here we go. I'm just going to list them off. One, prejudice. I just don't like some people. The man wanted to justify himself. Two, busyness. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. The priest and the Levite were busy on their way to serve God. They passed by on the other side. Three, impatience. I just don't have time for this. Four, fear. I don't want to get all wrapped up in someone else's business and their problems. Five, pessimism. I tried kindness once, but it didn't really make a difference in, in their life, so, so I don't do that anymore. Six, discord. Maybe I have relationships that are full of strain and conflict and that's the justification I use for not being kind. Or seven, selfishness. I just don't wanna be kind, at least not right now. We say things like, hey, listen, I'd be more kind, but these people, the way they treat me, I'd be more kind, but, but you know, honestly, my schedule is pretty tight and I would show more love, but that's, I don't know, I just find that it's really tough to do. We have to rise above these barriers, folks. The Good Samaritan rose above these barriers and he allowed his love to be expressed through kindness. And so can we. You, you are in charge of your attitude. You can change your attitude and you were called to have the same attitude as Christ had. So how do we do that? Well, 
The advice is so simple that it's almost insulting. Love God by loving people with your actions. See, kindness teaches something about God that words just can't. I love how Romans chapter 5 says it. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the point. Love demonstrated is love understood. Be as kind to others as you want them to be to you. Kindness makes our faith credible every time. Find ways every day, all day, to be kind to others. It's fun. Kindness is an attitude that describes Jesus. He gave his best. He gave his all. He gave so that others might benefit. God has been kind. We just need to kick meanness to the curb and make room for kindness in our lives. Focus on God's kindness toward you and then allow yourself to be kind toward everyone else. Find a need and fill a need. Go and be kind to one another. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the example that Christ set of being kind. When we look at the life of Christ, we see how he treated everyone with respect. Even though sometimes he was, he did hard things and he said hard things, he always did it with kindness. Father, I pray that you will help us to be kind to everyone we meet, realizing that through our kindness, people meet you. Help us to have the attitude of kindness. And Father, we pray that you will be glorified through that. And it's in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.